Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies, double three four five kilohertz on the 90 meter band to Southern Africa. As well as double one nine two five kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Sierra Leone urged to end protest crackdowns and South Africa welcomes new ambassadors. In economics news, investors see cover as trade battles rattle world markets. And in sports news, FIFA World Cup reaches quarterfinal stage. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The former vice president and rebel leader in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Jean-Pierre Bemba, will in the next few hours hear whether the International Criminal Court and The Hague will return him to jail after overturning his war crimes conviction on appeal. Bemba was found guilty in 2016 of crimes committed in neighboring Central African Republic during 2002 and 2003. He was accused of failing to stop his rebel from killing and raping people. But a judge last month said Bimba could not be held responsible for his rebels' actions. The BBC's Richard Hamilton reports. Jean-Pierre Bemba has spent the last 10 years in prison in The Hague. His original conviction for war crimes and crimes against humanity was one of the ICC's very few successes. But the landmark case was turned on its head last month when he was acquitted on appeal. His legal team had cited errors in the trial chamber's analysis of his responsibility for atrocities committed by his fighters in the Central African Republic. Jean-Pierre Bemba has a powerful support base in the DR Congo and experts describe his potential return to the country to contest elections as a huge wild card. The Sudanese government believes the clashes between rival parties in South Sudan are just events that do not amount to a ceasefire violation. Sudan's Foreign Minister Al-Dirdi Mohamed Ahmed says the ceasefire agreement went into effect on Sunday except for a few events during the first days. Last week, South Sudan's conflicting parties signed a ceasefire agreement in Sudan's capital Khartoum following the talks sponsored by the Sudanese government with the mandate of Africa's economic blog EGAD. 
The Zimbabwe Electoral Commission says the record 23 candidates running for president on the 30th of this month are an indication that the new administration has taken out the fear associated with former President Robert Mugabe's regime. Commissioner Kubane Moyo says it's all systems go as all legislative requirements have been met and the space is open for contenders, voters and the media. Moyo says the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission has shown political parties where the ballot papers are being printed and dispelled myths associated with past elections where some believed ballot papers could change votes. There has been uh, so much opening of space for all political players uh, to uh, participate openly in elections. And this new dispensation has also taken out uh, lots of fear that was associated with the previous dis- dispensation. Hence, we have so many uh, candidates uh, hoping 23 uh, mm. candidates mm. are contesting mm. Uh, for the office of president, a clear indication that they have confidence in the electoral processes and the way the commission is doing its business. Nine people have been killed and dozens others injured after a bus and truck collided in Kenya. The incident took place on a busy highway southeast of the capital, Nairobi. The crash resulted in a fireball that incinerated both vehicles. Pictures show the blackened shell of the truck on its side with wreckage around it. South Africa's International Relations Department has urged South African nationals traveling aboard, abroad to fully utilize consular services to avoid being caught up in dangerous and unfortunate situations. The department launched the Travel Smart campaign, which is aimed at encouraging travelers to research their destinations and the laws of the countries they seek to visit or apply, or apply for work. This follows the visa scam which saw a group of young South Africans left stranded in China. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says South Africa will work with countries on the continent to rid the world of unemployment, poverty and inequality. He was addressing new ambassadors and heads of mission who are assigned to the country. These new diplomats are from Angola, Zimbabwe, Jamaica, Indonesia and Mexico, among others. This was his first reception of diplomats since becoming president in February this year. Debo Mukobo has more. South Africa is the highest number of ambassadors and heads of mission in the world after the United States. And President Cyril Ramaphosa has welcomed a new crop of ambassadors from the continent and Latin America, with some parts of the world still ravaged by conflicts and wars and millions of its population trapped in poverty. The president said his administration is prepared to work with these diplomats to make the world a better place. Much of the conflict and instability in the world today has its roots 
in the extreme inequality between countries and within countries as well. It is also fueled by poverty, unemployment and underdevelopment. We trust that your presence in South Africa as the representatives of your respective peoples will enable us not only to build bilateral relations between South Africa and your countries, but also to cooperate in building a better world. He singled out the recent signing of the agreement on the African continental free trade as key to the realization of economic integration in Africa. At least 44 countries, including South Africa, have signed the agreement adopted at the last AU summit in Rwanda. The continental free trade area will, amongst others, allow the free movement of goods and people in the continent. Ramaphosa says this agreement will benefit the rest of the continent. The establishment of the continental free trade area is expected to have a far-reaching impact on the economies of our continent, Africa. It will contribute significantly to greater intra-African trade and investment. Importantly, this agreement will promote the industrialization of our continent, enabling many countries to extract greater value for their mineral resources through beneficiation. This places emphasis on regional and continental integration. And it seems the new diplomats will be equal to the task. Ambassador Philomena Delgado from Angola hopes for better relations with mutual economic spin-offs. We have a challenge with the economic development, so what I hope and uh, according to the mission I was given is to strengthen our relationship, strengthen our economic cooperation. Zimbabwe's David Hamaziripi says his mission is to ensure Harare becomes the next best investment destination for South African companies. President Ramaphosa has spoken about the new dawn. He has spoken about his commitment to improving the fortunes of this country's economy. That's the same message that we have in Zimbabwe. President Mnangagwa has spoken of Zimbabwe open for business, but he has also spoken about improving the integration of our region and Zimbabwe-South Africa partnership is going to be very important and critical in that effort. And with Pretoria seeking better relations with the African diaspora and hoping to take the South-South cooperation to another level, Jamaican Ambassador Veronica Comfort wants to broaden trade and strengthen people's to people's contact. With my appointment, as I indicated to the President um, just a while ago, the government and people of Jamaica are expecting increased relations, especially in trade and commerce. We also want to increase relations in relation to our areas like technical cooperation, cultural experiences, and of course sports. South Africa and Jamaica share a strong bond of friendship since we established diplomatic relations years ago. As Jamaican ambassador to South Africa, Veronica Comfort, ending that report by Ndebo Mukobo in Pretoria. South Africa's Department of International Relations and Cooperation has launched the Travel Smart campaign on consular service awareness. The campaign seeks to encourage South Africans to be informed travelers and raise awareness on non-financial services offered by the Department of International Relations and Cooperation for South African citizens in distress abroad. Ntlantla reports. 
The launch of the Travel Smart campaign comes after 51 young South Africans were enticed by an agent to travel to China on a study visa while planning to work as English teachers. The promise was that they will get their work visas upon arrival in China, which never materialized. The campaign seeks to encourage South Africans to research their destinations and the laws of the countries they seek to visit or apply for work invite, which will also ensure that in the event of an emergency, South African travelers can be offered urgent advice such as in the event of a natural disaster, civil unrest or family emergencies by South African embassy or consulate officials. Derko's Deputy Minister Regina Mahaule says they will also embark on roadshows to further enhance public comprehension of what the department can offer. South Africans are encouraged to have the contact details of the nearest South African representative's office and to carry contact details of their next of kin at all times. And what we appreciate the most is that when you arrive at a country, please introduce yourself to our mission so that the mission must know that you are there. Uh, Should anything happen, they will be able to assist. We will be embarking on an elaborate travel safe campaign aimed at mitigating some of the past experiences we mentioned and are well aware of. We aim to extend this campaign in different mediums, both traditional and non-traditional, so we can reach as many of our people as possible. Head of Consular Services at the Department of International Relations, Chris Chetty, says the department will offer only non-financial assistance. If you cannot get hold of a mission for various reasons, maybe uh, it's after hours there, or maybe the colleague that's carrying a duty phone is out of signal or whatever it might be, then you contact 012-351-1000. You report the case. It will come to Derko and then we have means of communicating with our mission to deal with whatever the eventuality or whatever emergencies that there are in those countries. Stephen McCown, who was kidnapped by Islamist militants in Mali in November 2011 while touring Timbuktu, returned home in July last year. He has hailed the campaign and acknowledged the role that consular services played in securing his freedom. I think that this press conference today is actually very good because I know that my family went through enormous difficulties trying to get my case out into the public. Now that there's actually a phone number that one can call when one's in trouble, this is great steps forward and at least it gives a point of call for all South Africans who are in trouble. It's really the question now is what is the follow-up once this phone call is made? You know, how does the government handle it once it's made? But at least now the family can feel that they do have um, tools at hand to inform people that they have a problem. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Kandla Matlangu in Johannesburg. The new government of Sierra Leone must start fulfilling its promise to improve the human rights situation in the country by lifting restrictions on peaceful demonstrations and ending entrenched impunity for police killings of protesters. This is according to the lobby group Amnesty International in a just-released report entitled Restrictions on peaceful assembly and impunity for excessive use of force by the Sierra Leone police. The report documents how, over the past decade, peaceful anti-government protests have repeatedly been refused permission or violently dispersed with unlawful killings by police going unpunished. More from Amnesty's research on West Africa, Sabrina Matani. The report looks at how, over the last 10 years, peaceful assembly has been restricted in Sierra Leone, often through the use of repressive laws or by the police using excessive use of force, 
In fact, the current government, when in opposition, was a victim of these laws and were even arrested for participating in protests. So we're now calling on the government. They're in power now. They have a real chance to make history in Sierra Leone by creating change. Now, since coming to power in April, uh, President Madabio has made commitments to reform the security sector and uh, protect human rights in a country where impunity for police abuses is uh, deeply entrenched. Uh, but he has only come to the office uh, three months ago. Don't you think it is a bit too soon to expect more in terms of those reforms that you are calling for? Well, we've met with many uh, government officials before the launch of the report, including the Vice President and the Minister of Internal Affairs, and they've really welcomed the report. They they said that the recommendations are very useful and will help them as they're making concrete steps for reform. Uh, in 10 days' time, will be 100 days uh, of President Bieler in power, and so we think this is the right time to actually encourage the government now to move from their promises to, to help them to make some concrete plans for reform. And we fundamentally believe that impunity is so deeply entrenched in Sierra Leone that no reform is going to be successful unless past abuses are addressed. And and the new government really needs to send a signal that impunity will not be tolerated anymore in Sierra Leone. Now, why has there not been any arrest made, uh, Sabrina, in connection with abuse cases uh, that you have documented? Because uh, recommendations were also made by two commissions of inquiry and the independent uh, police complaints board. Yes, it seems that there's been a lack of political will. The director of public prosecutions has not instigated criminal investigations despite these recommendations that have been made. Um, We did meet with the deputy attorney general and he encouraged us and said that he will actually look into the cases again. So we're hopeful that some of these survivors who've been waiting for some of them more than 10 years to have justice will finally get justice. Now the report builds upon a research that uh, you have conducted into human rights situation in Sierra Leone for over a decade now. Uh, talk to us about the victims. How many victims have you interviewed? We interviewed 105 people for the report, which included uh, victims but also government officials. And uh, we spoke to many victims. One one is, uh, for example, a student who was shot last year during a protest against his university being closed. And he was shot in the stomach, and he still lives with a bullet in his heart. He needs to have uh, the services of a specialist surgeon, which Sierra Leone doesn't have. We interviewed another young man who was shot during a youth demonstration in 2016. He was shot in the back. And he can't work, he can't walk, but there's no official compensation scheme uh, in Sierra Leone. So that's one of the recommendations we're also making for the government to set up a compensation scheme for victims. What are you hoping to achieve uh, through this report, Sabrina? We really hope that we'll finally have some accountability in Sierra Leone, that survivors will have justice. But we're also hoping that this will over the long term reform the Sierra Leone police. We've met many excellent police officers and they themselves are asking for reforms. We've made recommendations to reform command structures. We've made recommendations to strengthen the external oversight body. And we hope that in the long run, this will actually give Sierra Leone a police force that it deserves. That's Sabrina Matani, West Africa researcher at Amnesty International on the line from Freetown in Sierra Leone, speaking to Kumbela Munjalele. Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we bring you a live broadcast of the Nelson Mandela Lecture by former U.S. President Barack Obama. 
Make a date with Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we celebrate Nelson Mandela's centenary birthday. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. United Nations has welcomed the decision by Zimbabwe's High Court ordering the ruling ZANU-PF party not to force children to attend as political rallies. The presence of children at rallies has been criticized, especially in the wake of last week's deadly explosion at a ruling party rally in Bulawayo. Channel Africa's Simon Machema reports from Harare. For as long as anyone can remember, children were seen in uniform during school hours at many Zanupi political rallies and at those addressed by former President Robert Mugabe. Mugabe has since resigned following a coup that ushered in President Emerson Mnangagwa in November, but the trend with children is continuing. As such, amalgamated rural teachers' union of Zimbabwe, represented by Doug Coltard from the Lawyers for Human Rights, filed a court application seeking in order to bar the ruling Zanupia from abusing children. It was noted with concern that when assassination attempt was made on President Emerson Mnangagwa a week ago at a political rally in Bulawayo, hundreds of children were in attendance. The High Court ruled in favor of the teachers last week and on Tuesday the United Nations welcomed the court decision. In a statement issued by the UN in Zimbabwe, the ruling from Zimbabwe's High Court announced on the 28th of June 2018 states the children must not be forced to attend political rallies and that political parties must not be allowed to use school equipment, including vehicles for political interests. This is in line with the Convention on the Rights of the Child, lawyer Doug Coltard said. I'm glad uh, to hear that um, because, yeah, essentially it was it was a very important uh, victory for the rights of children. You know, this has been a scourge on Zimbabwean politics for a very long time. Essentially, the abuse of uh, of children for political ends, you know, forcing children to, to go to these rallies. Children, I mean, teachers have been caught up in it as well. And then the same with the use of school property and uh, buses and that sort of thing. Um, it really is uh, is not in the best interest of the children, and so yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that uh, that the UN are applauding that because it's an important victory for for children's rights. According to Coltard, the argument in court was centered on the best interest of children, as these abuses have been taking place for decades now in Zimbabwe. This becomes the first High Court case where the ruling party has been ordered to refrain from child abuse. Our own constitution, um, in Section 81.2 of the constitution, states that a child's best interests must uh, be paramount in all matters concerning the child. So our, our argument really centered around that provision and asked the court to consider the question, is it in the best interest of the child for them to be taken out of class um, to be taken to these rallies or for their buses to be used. Uh, and, uh, and the court uh, came out on our side with a resounding no that it's not in their best interest. It, however, came as a shock to learn that the ruling ZANU-PF was not that pleased with the ruling 
and expressed intentions to appeal. Coltat added. It depends on what approach they take. London PS has indicated that they might appeal the judgment. If that is the case, then then we would uh, we would bring something uh, called leave to execute pending appeal, which means that uh, that the the High Court order would still be operational. While we, uh, if we were to succeed with that, the High Court order would be operational despite the appeal. So that we would certainly bring on an urgent basis. If they decide not to go the legal route, but simply just to ignore uh, the judgment, uh, you know has been the case with the chief who was told to retract his statement who simply refused then we would have to bring contempt of court proceedings against uh, against the party um, to try and, uh, and bring them to book in Arari, zimbabwe for channel africa this is simon muchemwa South Africa's ruling African National Congress is calling for more coverage from the South African Broadcasting Corporation ahead of next year's general elections. This was part of a party submission to the SABC's Commission of Inquiry into political interference at the public broadcaster, which kicked off this week. As the public broadcaster, the SABC has the largest broadcast footprint across the country. The ANC says it wants airtime to be allocated according to its share of the vote. Busichimombe reports. The ANC has called for more coverage from the SABC ahead of the 2019 elections. It did so at the SABC's commission into editorial interference taking place in Mill Park, Johannesburg. It says the public broadcaster, in its editorial decisions, must take into account that the party has the majority electoral support in the country. The ANC Zizi Godwa. The fact that the majority of South Africans have expressed their desire and their wish and the choice of 62% to another party, it cannot be that we give all political parties to comment on issues of public interest. You must give them all equal time. That's the reason in Parliament, parties don't have the same speaking time in Parliament. Godwa says the party's call is based on principle, saying it does not expect to receive the same amount of airtime in the DA-governed Western Cape as it should in the rest of the country. However, Director of Media Monitoring Africa, William Byrd, says the ANC is being disingenuous. If you look at uh, 2016, the, the first time that we found systemic bias or evidence of systemic bias was at the SABC, and that systemic bias clearly and deliberately favoured the ANC. So for them to be now coming and presenting at an inquiry as to editorial interference and somehow suggesting that they're the victims. I mean, it's not only out of touch with reality, it's simply outrageous. The Independent Communications Authority of South Africa, ICASA, is the authority tasked with determining how broadcasters should cover elections and allocate time to political parties. Spokesperson Pasega Malika says that there's an established process to ensure that no party, big or small, is unfairly prejudiced. We publish the regulations for comments and all political parties and all stakeholders who are interested can make their comments. So the aim therefore is to ensure that all political parties get coverage that is uh, equitable. The regulations will determine the kind of formula that is going to be used. But in most cases you find that there is a basic allocation for all political parties that are contesting the elections. And also then the other thing that we also look into is the issue of the, the seats that are held. Or, or the list, or how many how many candidates have been filled at, whether national or provincial. So those are some of the things that we look into when, when we when we come up with the formula. Meanwhile, the SABC's commission into editorial interference may face legal action. Media Monitoring Africa has raised concerns that the proceedings are not open to the public.
good again. I think it potentially can be a, a moment in our history where we make a, a further clear shift from a, a broadcaster that was captured to a public broadcaster. There are a lot of very positive shifts. That said, I think the fact that the uh, inquiry into editorial interference is being held behind closed doors is fundamentally deeply at odds with the principles of a public broadcaster and it's something that we're currently looking into possible legal action to prevent that from continuing in that manner. That report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. Let's go back in time to today in 1979. Ahmed Ben Bella, former president of Algeria, is released after 14 years in prison as a political prisoner. Ben Bella was instrumental in Algeria's fight for independence from France and he became the country's premier in 1962 and was elected president in 1963. Bella's popularity began to decline after his presidency following his eccentric and arrogant behavior coupled with his increasingly autocratic rule. Today in history in 1979. South Africa's Science and Technology Minister Mamuloko Kubai Ngubani has endorsed a resolution to establish a science innovation hub among countries in the BRICS grouping. Kubai Ngubani was speaking on the last day of the 6th BRICS Science, Technology and Innovation Ministerial Meeting in Durban. She said the conference was a platform where developing countries deliberated and shared views on various scientific issues which affect them. Ntlantlangwele reports. BRICS ministers responsible for science and technology in their respective countries say the main focus for the conference was to identify social problems and find solutions to common challenges. They say the forum gave them a platform to exchange ideas. In the end of the conference, the ministers came up with a solution to establish the science innovation hub between countries in the BRICS grouping. South African Science and Technology Minister Mamaloko Kubai Ngubani says the conference was mainly focusing on finding solutions on pressing socio-economic issues. So there's quite a number of things that are happening either between South Africa and a particular country within the BRICS cooperation, but we're looking at more establishing and that we are learning from the work that we are doing at SADC because we've been able to do quite tangible work since we've seconded somebody in, from South Africa to SADC uh, to look specifically on science and technology work. So out of that we are learning that we can be able to do more if we are able to have a secretary that coordinates the work and implements the agreements that the ministers have made. Minister Kubai Ngubani says the country will host another science and technology conference next month as a follow-up to the resolutions taken at the conference. The conference is in August actually. It's hosted, we call it Bio, um, Bio Africa, is in August. And CG has indicated that they have an interest. A lot of companies from um, India have indicated that they would want to participate and we have extended that. Uh, and for us to send out, uh, we've asked them to give us the names so that we can send out the invites. The representative of the Department of International Relations in South Africa, Professor Enel Suklal, says the forum was not only informative but empowering and said to be the campus for the science community. 
The cooperation between our science and technology ministers is critical because it addresses using science and technology as a means of advancing development. It also addresses how we can cooperate in terms of using our collective strengths uh, as BRICS countries to advance the science, technology and innovation agenda. So the whole focus is on inclusive growth, it's on shared prosperity, and how do we harness the opportunities in the fourth industrial revolution? Not just the opportunities, but also addressing the challenges. The solutions and suggestions offered at the conference will help enhance the quality of life of ordinary citizens. I am Tlatangwele in Deben. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Zimbabwe Electoral Commission says the 23 candidates running for president on the 30th of this month are an indication that the new administration has taken out the fear associated with former President Robert Mugabe's regime. The DRC's former vice president and rebel leader Jean-Pierre Bemba will in the next few hours hear whether the ICC will return him to jail after overturning his war crimes conviction on appeal. And the Libyan Navy recovers the bodies of six migrants and rescues 125 others off the coast of Garabuli town east of the capital, Tripoli. Those are the stories making headlines. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. African policy makers, educators and arts and culture professionals are meeting in South Africa's Guazul-Natal province for the third African Public Library Summit. The meeting under the theme Driving Development African Public Libraries Delivering on the Development Agenda and seeks to deliberate on the development and promotion of local content in African libraries. More from Vusmu Zimkize, Department of Arts and Culture Director General. What we're having is um, a two-day um, official engagement to look at progress made in relation to 
resourcing the libraries in Africa and and making sure that we promote the work of the libraries and so that then as a reservoir of knowledge but most importantly as educational sites and that then there is development in the communities that do not have mainly access uh, at this stage. So one of the key areas of this summit is to focus on mechanisms to provide greater access even to the most rural areas. Look at the strategies that will make libraries uh, available and not become only accessible to the elite or to those who can afford. And exactly what sort of progress has been made uh, in resourcing the libraries um, across the continent? Is, has progress been made at all? Great progress. And in fact, you will um, realize that, uh, for instance, just in, in, in South Africa alone, um, if we look at the number of libraries that we have uh, built and also methods we have used, to where we cannot have more brick and mortar. We have developed what we call a modular libraries. You will realize that um, there is greater access, particularly in reaching out to the rural communities. So the countries on on Thursday and Friday, the ministers will be giving us now that progress report of their states on what have they done today. The countries have a great buy-in from a political level, which is very critical, and because the ministers that we have today um, uh, were 13 when we started in Cape Town, but now already those committed to come here are, are 20, which indicates that there is greater interest in the area of libraries in Africa in general. People, when they are on strike, um, must not think that the first to pen is a library, because that takes us back. Mm. And one of the greatest things, educating them is citizenry about the value of a library, that it is not something to pen. Speak to us about, I mean, we know that the summit brings together policymakers, you know, professionals, educators and the like. Speak to us about some of the topics uh, that are being looked at in, in some of the deliberations or discussions that are being had there. The key topics or the threat of the conference, if we look at what topics are covered, you, you will realize that we, one of the key things is about what is the role of a the role of a library, and and we're getting presentations uh, about global libraries themselves, and uh, where they are, what uh, level of resourcing, not just in terms of providing books and equipment, but we're looking at um, the topic that deal with the issue of human resource because um, librarians are very few those that have been a trend to move away from this as a profession. How do we make library uh, librarian work more accessible and more attractive to young people? But also we're looking at as knowledge is um, we are now in the 
technological age. So one of the key topics is talking about e-learning to, uh, in transforming public libraries. And, and then, of course, we look at a topic that deals with education citizenship initiative. And then we say, what does it mean going beyond books itself? And then there's another key topic is about using inclusive library services to achieve the development agenda. This is based on the fact that um, ignorance is extremely expensive. You would rather pay for education. That's the Department of Arts and Culture Director General's Vusmuzim Kize speaking to Kumuzomo Pulani. Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we bring you a live broadcast of the Nelson Mandela Lecture by former U.S. President Barack Obama. Make a date with Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we celebrate Nelson Mandela's centenary birthday. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. July marks Nelson Mandela Month in South Africa. The Southern African nation celebrates its former president's birthday throughout this month. Mandela's birthday, July the 18th, has been declared as Nelson Mandela International Day. This year's activities surrounding the day are of great interest as this year, Madiba, as he is affectionately known, would have turned 100 years old. This year, former U.S. President Barack Obama will deliver the keynote address at the annual Nelson Mandela Lecture, taking place on the 17th of this month in Johannesburg. For more on this, Tutungubeni spoke to Chief Executive at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, Silo Hatang. The month is uh, ensuring that we build up uh, on the legacy that we've been saying needs to be preserved and grown. And I think it's important that we then we need to keep moving, moving the country towards the right direction. And if we are to do that, we need to then ensure that we, we do three things as per the messages that we've had, that all of us carry the responsibility for building a country of our dreams, which means that each one of us must be observing Madiba being the legacy of Madiba. The second one is ensuring that we all observe the legacy by trying to be Madiba's uh, delegate or, or, or even people who represent something that he stood for, which is how we can then help build a values-based society. And it's that element that we think is important. That's why the work that we'll be doing over the next uh, one is ensuring that we build a values-based society. And uh, it's based on that also that we would like to implore upon um, all the listeners uh, to say all of us carry the responsibility to grow in this country. Would you say that as the Nelson Mandela Foundation, especially with uh, Mandela Day or Mandela Month, this year you are actually still sticking to the pillars that you, uh, were, when you launched initially the Mandela Day, you're still sticking to them uh, with regards to um, the shelter. Would you say that you're still sticking to those important pillars that Mandela had set out for Mandela Day? Yes, we have. And, and in fact, 
this year we're focusing a, a lot more on on fighting against poverty. And it's this uh, mandate that we need to be working for in terms of poverty uh, work that we need to be uh, need to be done. And the hashtag is again is on um, focusing on poverty. And it's that that we're trying to then work on uh, hugely. Shelter belongs in there too. Food security belongs in there because all of them are about uh, fighting against uh, systemic poverty. This year, it's the centenary celebration. There's a lot of uh, fanfare. And when the Mandela Day was launched, it was uh, Mandela insisted that there should not be uh, fanfare around this day, but people should actually get their heads dirty. Do you think that the message has been received by the public and that is what people are doing throughout the world on the specific day? We believe so. And in fact, uh, it's true to say that most people have been observing that uh, a lot more. And I think it's important that we try and keep to it because Madiba said two things that's important when Mandela Day was launched. She said it's not a public holiday and it should never be a public holiday. The second one is uh, about how it needed to be a day for service and it's serving that we want to inculcate in our society. And do you think that people are actually giving back um, to the community? They're actually going to the affected communities because we've seen how others are just doing it in you know areas where it doesn't necessarily affect the poor. Do you think that this is what people are doing? This are receiving the message in that way? I think it's important that we emphasize that to them. And I think you, thank you for that question because we keep on emphasizing that each one of us uh, carries responsibility for our community. And in this case, too, we need to be doing the same. And it, it, uh, it, sometimes we take it for granted that in, in, in communities where you have uh, affluence, there are poor people. And the old, especially the, uh, the, the people in old ages, uh, in old age homes, um, need the kind of support, not just in terms of financial. Sometimes it's just uh, your time that you need to be relieving uh, the nurses so that you can help if you have the expertise, obviously, to help relieve uh, those nurses and not complicate the lives of the agent. And people who are neglected need that kind of thing that uh, we can then help with. Even in affluent communities, there is sometimes a need, and we need to also be addressing those needs too. Mm. And in terms of now the activities planned for um, the month, we know we have the annual lecture, which people are looking forward to. Uh, Maybe you can just break it down. What is it that will be happening, especially with the annual lecture and other activities as well? Some are coming like Kili Climb. Well, on the 11th of uh, this month, we will uh, start off with uh, the launch of the book, the letters, uh, Madiba's letters from prison. That's on the 11th. On the 12th, we then sending off Kili Climbers. We will then be doing the Kilimanjaro project, and they will leave. That's Silo Hatang, CEO of the Nelson Mandela Foundation, on the line, speaking to Tutungubeni. Our economics update up next with Chabiso Luhoko. Good morning. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has hailed the signing of the agreement on the African Continental Free Trade Area as key to the realization of regional economic integration. 
South Africa is amongst the over 40 countries which signed the agreement adopted at the AU summit in Rwanda. The continental free trade area will allow, amongst others, the free movement of goods and people on the continent. The agreement will soon be submitted to Parliament for the ratification process. Ramaphosa says that the agreement will benefit the rest of the continent. The establishment of the continental free trade area is expected to have a far-reaching impact on the economies of our continent, Africa. It will contribute significantly to greater intra-African trade and investment. Importantly, this agreement will promote the industrialization of our continent, enabling many countries to extract greater value for their mineral resources through beneficiation. This places emphasis on regional and continental integration. In an effort to reduce electricity-related injuries and fatalities, as well as ensuring a continuous supply of electricity, South Africa's power utility is warning the public against infrastructure and electricity theft that includes electricity connections. ESCOM says electricity theft costs the country approximately 1.45 million US dollars. The utilities spokesperson Kulupasiwe says hundreds of people have also suffered serious injuries and lost their lives due to coming into contact with the tampered electric cables. Both ESCOM and municipalities are dealing with a big problem during winter especially, but generally across the year where some people are stealing our cables or tampering with our electrical equipment. And especially during this winter period where after you have stolen cable, you are left with uh, several hours without electricity, which is creating problems for our residents in general. South African economists are warning of the impact the recent fuel price hikes will have on consumers and businesses. The price of petrol and diesel have gone up by around 26 South African cents a litre, paraffin by 22 cents a litre and LP gas by 37 cents a kilogram. This is the fifth time that prices have increased since the beginning of the year. The opposition IFP says it has written to National Assembly Speaker Balegambete to request an urgent debate on fuel price hikes. Economist Paul Makube explains. Definitely it has uh, an impact on the consumers. You know, in terms of transport costs that are going to increase, consumers are hard hit. And also small businesses and, and businesses at large who have tried to absorb the, the costs. And with transport, it is immediate. The poorest households are actually hard hit because the large chunk of their expenditure is on transport. Zimbabwean banks have put their customers on fraud alert following an increase in card cloning incidents. The increase in card cloning follows a rise in electronic transactions in the country as the Zimbabwean economy continues to grapple with the cash shortages. The shortage of cash has seen the bulk of transactions of approximately 96% going through electronic platforms. 
Morocco's economic growth has slowed to 3% in the second quarter of 2018 after 3.2% in the first quarter. A growth is expected to remain flat at 3.2% in the third quarter, with agricultural output dropping 2.6%. Agricultural activity rose at 3.1% in the second quarter, while non-agricultural sector growth slowed to 3% compared to 3.3% in the previous quarter. The US dollar trades at 10.25 for Botswana Pula. It's at 9.98 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 3.90 Brazilian real, at 63.23 Russian ruble, and at 68.58 Indian rupee. At 6.67 Chinese yuan, and at 13.74 to the South African rand. 75 pence to the British pound, 85 cents to the euro. Golden thousand, 255 dollars, platinum, 840 dollars an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $77.42 a barrel. Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. England's captain Harry Kane says England grew up as a team during the penalty shootout. That's a victory over Colombia in the World Cup last 16 last night. Well, I just did our research on them for starters of Marge, analysis staff. So we, we had a fair feeling. Falcao the only one who really went, didn't go his way. But just set, react and go power. And I've got power and agility. Don't care if I'm not the biggest keeper, but I've got that power and the agility to help us to get around the goal and I'm, I'm very good at it and like I said it's about getting there and making the save and being in the moment and I was. And Sweden coach Jani Andersen insists his team is not finished yet at the World Cup after a one and win over Switzerland yesterday sealed their place in the quarterfinal. Emil Forsberg deflated short proved the difference in the St. Petersburg Stadium. Here is Emil Forsberg. It's the greatest moment of my life so far, no doubt. Hitting the shot that brings Sweden to the quarters. It's the kind of thing you dream of as a child. Experiencing it now is out of this world. Rugby News Kenya Rugby Union Chairman Richard Omwela has admitted that money from sponsors Brand Kenya had been banked by the union during the Paris League. But Omwela says the players should have been patient instead of masking the sponsor signage. After a bitter fallout, the government intervened in a standoff between the union, the Shuja team and the sponsors to reinstate the brand Kenya sponsorship and return fired Innocent Simuyu as head coach. Chairman of Kenya Rugby Union, Omwela, has more about the coach. Let me just say that uh, there was a misunderstanding between the union and, and the coach. The coach should realize that he is an employee of the union and uh, as an employer, we have certain responsibilities. As you are my employee, you have certain obligations as well. So it's a give and take. It's regrettable that that happened because uh, you know that Simiu has been and uh, will, be, will go down in history as one of the best coaches we've had. Even though uh, people were skeptical about his performance, he has delivered the 100 plus points, which uh, not even my Friday was able to deliver. And uh, we think he understands the game very well. He's someone we want to work long term with. And, uh, we believe having our own homegrown 
despite um, the people that say that he's not fit to coach. We have defended him and he ought to, to be able to carry on from there. Omuela was also at pains to explain the circumstances under which Kenya 15's deputy coach, Murray Roston, resigned over unmet promises. In the same, same scenario, we have explained to Murray that uh, uh, the reason why we promise you we will do certain things was based on the fact that government is going to give us money. Government hasn't given us money, so our promise to you is based on a promise we received from someone else. So if you now say, honor your promise now, I can't because the other person hasn't honored the promise. So we accept his resignation. It's unfortunate, but again, it's a question of him not understanding our dynamics. We, as I said, without a sponsor, we are relying on the government to try and help us to resolve the issue of their salaries and their stay here. And we are hoping that uh, we've talked to him, but uh, if he's finally made his mind, there's very little we can do about it. We'll have to uh, move on with life without him. Finally, tennis news three-time champion Novak Djokovic reached the Wimbledon second round last night with a 6-3, 6-1, 60 win over Tennis Sandgren of the United States. Meanwhile, former champion Maria Sharapova was knocked out of Wimbledon in the first round last night by world number 132 and fellow Russian Vitalia Dianchenko. That's the sport news this hour. Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and podcasts of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday. Saturday and Sunday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Sierra Leone urged to end protest crackdowns and South Africa welcomes new ambassadors. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Now, taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Lena Dembo with a song titled Chitekete. <laughs> 